The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by a guest speaker. The statements, views, and opinions presented in this message are those of the speaker and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online at wscal.edu or call 888-480-8474. That's online, wscal.edu or call 888-480-8474. 8474. It's my pleasure this morning to introduce the chapel speaker. Uh, the Reverend Alex Watlington is here today with us. He is currently the RUF campus minister at USC here in Southern California. Uh, he's a minister in the Presbyterian Church in America. For those of you that don't know, RUF stands for Reformed University Fellowship, which is a university campus ministry of the denomination and is now on, on, I believe, over 100 campuses, if I'm not mistaken. And so along here with Alex uh, uh, is several representatives from RUF. I'll introduce them uh, to you at the end of the chapel service. Uh, But he comes to us uh, from 10 years in Pennsylvania, four years at Westminster, Philadelphia, as well as six years as the campus minister at Penn State University. He lives now in Southern California, Los Angeles, with his wife Becky, and three children, and we're delighted to have him here. So please, Alex, come and bring us God's Word. Good morning. If you have a Bible and you want to turn along to uh, Mark chapter 1. Beginning in verse 35, I'll read God's Word for us together this morning. Rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he being Jesus departed, went out to the desolate place where he prayed. Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. He said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I might preach there also, for that is why I have came out. And he went throughout the Gala Galilee, preaching in their synagogues, casting out demons. This is God's word. When I uh, first got into ministry, um, RUF, we do pastoral training. And uh, the first one I went to was a lecture I heard uh, a se- three months out of seminary. And the guy- title of the lecture was called, uh, So You Want to Be a Rock Star. And the guy just asked uh, what we really want to do in ministry. And he said, probably most of you, what you want to do was like me, which is you think you want to go out and just change the world. Uh, do incredible things. And he said that was my ambition until I got my 30s. And I realized that wasn't happening. So I thought I, what I want to do is just I want to change like my denomination. I really want to be impactful for this country, this region, and change that. And he said that when I got my 40s, I realized that wasn't happening at all. And maybe what I can do in my 40s is just impact some significant people. And they can actually do the amazing things for the kingdom of God. And, uh, and then I'll get a reputation that way. And he said, now in my 50s, that none of that's happening at all. And I realized that part of the goal is actually just to make it. And to cross the finish line with my wife and my children and not embarrassing and humiliating Jesus along the way. And so I want to ask you this. You know, if you're studying for ministry, what do you really want to do in life? If you, do you want to make it? Because whatever you do for the kingdom of God, if you don't end up in the kingdom of God, it, it really ends up being in vain and in misery. And there's one thing in this text I think that will help you make it and cross the finish line with joy in your spouse and your children still loving you. And that's the powerful work of withdrawing in prayer. 
that in ministry you have to have a life and a lifestyle where you are having the ongoing habitual activity of communion with God in prayer. And so let's learn quickly, just reflect on three things. One, that we must pray. Two, why we must pray. And three, how we can actually pray. So first, that we must pray. Look, if you want to actually go into pastoral ministry and serve God's people that way, you must pray. There's, uh, it's pretty astonishing what Mark does for us here with this pericope on Jesus. It says in verse 35, rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place where he prayed. And what's fascinating to me about this text is not just uh, what it records about Jesus, but where Mark puts it. Because where Mark puts it is uh, bracketed around significant ministry of Jesus uh, dealing with all sorts of evil, uh, casting out demons on the other side, healing lepers, he'll, he'll lame, he'll walk all that. And uh, parenthetically, in between all of that is this moment where he wants to tell us that Jesus withdrew from all of this to pray. And what we're being taught here by Jesus is the priority and the significance of putting the internal needs over the external demands. See, everything around him, the crowds are begging for more ministry. Uh, Incredible things are happening. And they're looking to him for more and more and more, which is why they want to find him. And the pressing need for Jesus is not to answer those demands, to look at the evil even around him in the world and answer it. But his pressing need for him is to withdraw and get alone with God and commune with him. I remember uh, it was like last week I was going to go meet somebody for lunch. And naturally, because it's L.A., I'm running late. And uh, I come to a stop sign, and there was this great person helping an elderly person across the walkway going, you know, per- uh, perpendicular to me. And I uh, pull up to the stop sign and realize this is going to make me like two minutes late. So the man starts walking across, and I do the little, Pfft. you know, that's code for disgusted. Um, and I just sat there and watched this person give the middle of their day, help this elderly person across, and I'm angry because I'm going to be two minutes late to meet this person. And then I thought, what is wrong with me? Because what happened was my friend was late for lunch too. But I always, I'm always caught up in life about external demands, thinking that they're more significant and they're more pressing than what's immediately in front of us. And when you get into the church... And you get into ministry on a daily and weekly basis, you will be thinking and tempted to believe that all of the external demands of people, the hurts of the city, the hurts of the people in your congregation are more pressing and and should be more of a priority than what is right in front of you of the need for communion with God. Michael Reeves in his little book uh, on prayer, he says, if you want to know what you really think about God, Reflect on your prayer life. And you'll learn whether or not you find him useful or beautiful. And see, what Jesus is modeling for us here is the priority of finding and how you find God beautiful. That even while everything in the world around you is screaming and pressing that this is significant and how dare you, how dare you turn your back on it. He's reminding us and modeling for us and showing us the priority and the significance of turning and communing with him. This is why Calvin called it prayer, the chief exercise of faith. And if we don't go to it on a regular pattern basis, 
we're just living like practical atheists. Which is dark and broken as a Christian and is lying in ministry. So the urgent thing that you must do if you want to go into ministry and you want to make it is that you, while it's always dark, you must, you must withdraw and you must personally commune with God. That we must do it. But secondly, why must we do it? Why must we pray is because the darkness is ever growing. It says in verse 35 that while it was still dark, he departed to go pray. And most commentators, what they say is that the darkness there throughout the Gospel of Mark is metaphorical, that it's used multiple ways to communicate multiple things. And so the darkness here for Jesus going to pray isn't just when he goes to pray, but it's why he goes to pray. And most, most scholars will comment on this way, that the pressing darkness in this passage is not what we would immediately think. That what's causing Jesus to pray in the darkness around him that's so pressing is not the evil in the world, It's not the demons that he's just met. It's not the sin and the brokenness of the fallen world. What's most pressing and what's ever growing dark around him is the way the crowds are responding to him. Because what's happening is most everybody is seeing Jesus do these things and they're following him and they're liking him and they're applauding him. One scholar said this is why Jesus had to withdraw. He said after a day of intense excitement with the news of God's kingdom going public, With a bang, Jesus knew of his need of a God-given sense of direction and inner strength, both to build on the apparent success and handle it the right way and take things forward in the right way. See, all of the crowds are coming and responding to Jesus and seeing the incredible things that he's doing. And for Jesus, it's clouding his mission. It's growing dark, and he's, he's even tempted to forget why he's come and why he's there. And so his answer for that is he has to withdraw to pray because what Jesus is doing here is he's saying, I have to withdraw to pray to keep from being conceited in ministry. Even him. This is really complicated. I mean, we're training you to be able to go out and to proclaim the good news and to be a part of changing people's lives, and to be a part of connecting people to the healing of the kingdom. And we want you to be able to do it effectively. We want you to do it to a point it changes not just one person, but communities and influences neighborhoods. But the moment that starts to succeed, it begins to be very dangerous. And it begins to almost cloud you while you're there. And see, what can happen in ministry is the thing that you very set out to do it can make you drunk to prior- and you begin to prioritize every external demand over all the internal needs. And you'll look at them and all of them will be legit and all of them will be pressing and all of them will be significant for everyone around you. And the only way you can get through this is if you begin to do what Jesus does and you withdraw and you begin to commune with God. Now, few of you are in ministry right now but you are doing something that's planting seeds to either prioritize the internal over the external or the external over the internal. See, when you study in seminary, it is so easy to be wowed and impressed and awed by everything you're hearing and learning and do it in such a way where you're planting and sowing seeds that prioritize 
and make what is most urgent the external demands of your curriculum. Martin Lloyd-Jones has these sermons through the book of Ephesians, uh, which are interesting because most of them actually aren't sermons to Ephesians. But in uh, chapter 6, he uh, comes to these, um, the end, and he does 26 sermons on the temptation and the wiles of the devil. And he talks about all of the crafty ways that the devil will come into the Christian life. And he doesn't even explicitly say it, but most of them are for the ministry. And take what you will swear is, is urgent, is important, and is extreme, and he'll show and talk about how the devil can use that to twist and malangle your life. He's got one where he's going through First uh, Corinthians 8, and he talks about knowledge and just how we can come to knowledge and see it as so, so pressing and important. And he says this. He says, For the one who sincerely recognizes the Bible as his sole authority and desires to submit himself wholeheartedly to its evident meaning, this person, it is still possible for such a man to go astray by becoming purely theoretical in, towards this precious knowledge. It could happen to all. But I emphasize again that it is the particular danger of those who have keen minds and who desire to understand and grow in knowledge. The devil, knowing us as he does, suits the particular temptation to our exact mentality. At this point, I'm not referring to people who don't read the scriptures or indeed little else who say, I'm only interested in experience. The devil does not even trouble himself with such people. But to those who truly long to grow and develop, he comes and says, of course, you're quite right. And what you need and what everyone else needs is more and more of this knowledge, pressing it so far that our relationship with the truth is purely theoretical and only academic. And then we are in danger of only intellectual knowledge of Christian truth rather than knowledge of the Lord Jesus himself. And when we are beguiled into such a condition, the devil is quite satisfied. See, even in your classes, it's so easy to begin to plant seeds of prioritizing the external over the internal. And when you get out and you get a job and you get in ministry, if people start following you, you're toast. And so even now, even in your studies, what you must do to prepare it for ministry and to even sow seeds to be able to make it is that you have to get alone and commune with God. You have to get alone and commune with the Father and find Him not just useful, but beautiful and satisfying. And while it's still dark in your life, with all the pressing things, you have to get away in the morning. That we must pray, why we must pray, but lastly, quickly, uh, how we can do it. You know, there's three private moments of prayer in the uh, Gospel of Mark. Uh, This one, uh, right after he feeds the 5,000, and then the Garden of Gethsemane. And it's pretty fascinating because Mark records these three prayers of him praying in the wilderness and then on the mountain and then in the garden. And what he has Jesus doing is as Jesus is heading towards the cross, he's praying back through Israel's story. And each time what he's doing is he's praying and communing with God and resisting the external demands of all of ministry, of all of the evil in the world, of all the demands and idols on his own soul. And finding nothing more significant than being and knowing with God. In fact, he does it even all the way onto the cross. That when all the demands externally are greater and heavier and thicker than he can ever feel, his last words are even still praying out scripture himself. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
But in that moment when he prays that prayer, modeling for us, resisting all of the demands of the world, even then he loses communion with God so that you and I can have full access to it. And we can go, as Calvin says, with his mouth. See, if you pray with the law, then all of your prayers, all of your communion with God, it will only be about external demands. And then you'll pray in anxiety, you'll pray in exhaustion, you'll pray in burdens, and it will be something you don't even do enough. But when you pray, as Calvin says, with his mouth, as the chief exercise, you pray in the safety of the gospel, in the firmness of Christ, knowing, listen, I pray with a sovereign God, to a good God, to a Father who welcomes and wants to be with me, and I participate in Trinitarian life in such a way that where I am is where I most need to be. Look, this is what sustained and made Jesus made all the way through. And one day that prayer will turn into praise. And we will not need to pray anymore. And we will be in his presence forever and ever and ever. And it will not be finding him useful for things we want. We will just want him. And so the way to go into ministry is to find in droplets of that here and now. Last year, or two years ago, I think it was uh, um, Sinclair Ferguson and Tim Keller were the uh, keynote speakers at the other Westminster, the one we don't talk about here. Um, and uh, they were the keynote speakers for the commencement ceremony. And, and they did this uh, lecture series with them and asked them to reflect on their ministry. And uh, they did uh, multiple lectures, and then they did an hour and a half of Q&A. And then uh, the parting question was, if you could go back and do it again, what would you change? And I found this interesting. They both said the same thing. If I could go back and do ministry different, the one thing I would do different is to pray. Begin now, sow those seeds, go to him. And you will not find an angry father wondering where you've been. You will find the welcome community of the Trinity asking you and welcoming you to enjoy being known. Go to him. Let me pray. Jesus, Lord, we want to participate in ministry not with uh, the emptiness of idols, but with the fullness of yourself and your Son through your Spirit. Would you enable us, Lord, uh, Lord, to in wisdom block out the external demands of ministry and prioritize life with you and follow you, Lord, in your example and in your place on our behalf, making access to the Father possible. Lord, be with us today. Make access rich and beautiful. Make communion holy in Jesus' name. Amen. Copyright Westminster Seminary, California. 2019. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.